you're telling me you made a time machine out of the greatest movie of all time? Today on the show, Back to the Future. Don't need money. Don't take fame. Don't need no credit card to ride this train. Welcome to the year 2021 and the greatest movie of all time podcast, the podcast in which I, your co-host Rick Barrasso, and I, your co-host Derek Smith, are going to watch every single movie ever made and help decide which one is the greatest movie of all time. And today is an auspicious occasion because we are welcoming a very special guest, friend of the show and huge film fan, the bod himself, Chris Bonapani, how are you doing today, boys? Doing well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Great to have you. I'm happy to uh, to get going on a new year and get out of the shit show that was 2020. But we have a little bit of business from that year to attend to. Uh, last time on the show, we, we finished up our Christmas doubleheader and we took a deep dive into Bedford Falls with It's a Wonderful Life. And Chris, by the way, going back a little bit further, I understand there were a couple of movies on our Home Alone episode that we did not mention for best Christmas movies of our lifetime that you had a, a bone to pick with that. You know, it's not so much that I had a bone to pick. It was just that uh, on a personal level, I was hurt. Yeah. You hurt me on a personal level. Yeah. Because you're talking John Hughes and in the same breath, you're talking Christmas movies. Yep. Left off Christmas. Whiffed. Christmas vacation. I was my mistake. I thought it was a couple of years earlier. I thought it was the year before I was born. Turns out not so much. Twice to make sure it just wasn't me. Maybe maybe the service dropped out, and I went back and I re re listened, and I was like, you know what? He really did. He left. I it didn't. Out. I, I I whiffed. My apologies. I I take full responsibility for that. You uh, know, it, it's partially my fault too, because I'm a big fan of the movie, and I didn't think to say it either. We were too caught up. I think with still Godfather three. Yes, we were we were too focused on on Pacino's <laughs> oh, yeah, performance in Godfather three. <laughs> You guys had the stars in your eyes for Godfather 3. At that <laughs> I don't point. know why. Yeah, I mean, we did a, It's a Wonderful Life last year, I, or last year and last episode. thought it was a really good one. I got some really great feedback. There are actually some people who said that uh, they hadn't seen the movie before, and we convinced them to check it out. And that's probably the best feedback that, uh, that I can get. Very cool. Yeah. So I really like that. And you can listen to that episode. You can listen to Home Alone or any of our back catalog. You can subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Find us online and let, and let us know what you're thinking. We're the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast on Facebook. We're at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. And you can email us at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And as our, our good friend Batman said, if you like what you hear, tell your friends about us. Now, mm-hmm. moving on to this week, Chris, you have chosen an absolute classic, Back to the Future. Uh, I, I think a movie that I, I'd be surprised if anyone needs to be convinced to see that in our audience. Why, why'd you, uh, why'd you pick back to the future? So uh, first let me just say, it's a pleasure to be sitting here with Rick and wreck. <laughs> uh, yeah. I lost it uh, laughing Derek when you first assimilated yourself as being kind of a Rick. That was, that was good. Back yeah. Sometimes the I have good ones once in a while. Yeah. That was, that was perfect. Back to the future. So, it's complicated when you, when you ask me, what's my favorite movie? It's a list of like, I got like a top a hundred really. And then the top 10 always fluctuates, but back to the future is probably the 
king of the hill when it comes to most consistently my favorite movie. Yeah. I mean, you and I, this was the last movie I saw in theaters and I saw it with you before COVID. And I, I remember just turning to you after the movie was over and I said, this is, this is the perfect movie. So it's because there are so few weak points, but uh, for those of you that somehow don't know, uh, Back to the Future is a 1985 sci-fi comedy. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly, Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen, Crispin Glover as George McFly, and Leah Thompson as Lorraine McFly. It's got an 8.5 on the Internet Movie Database, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 87 on Metacritic. So let's uh, let's talk about when we first saw it. Let's start with our guest, Chris. Do you remember when you first saw this movie? So honestly, I can't remember the first viewing, but like a lot of these favorite movies of ours and these greatest movies of all times. I do remember that VHS tape. Yep. And I, I remember retreating to that tape just, you know, as often as you could. The thing probably is so stretched out. It probably won't play anymore if it still right. exists. It, it was a common ground for me as a guy who loved movies and, you know, being a little kid to I would make friends with this movie. I would find friends through this movie. Oh, so you, did you ever see back to the future? Oh yeah. I seen that. Oh, we're friends. Come on. Let's do it. This is this is uh, this is similar, I think, to a conversation we had about Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's like you're not uh, you're not really that cool unless you've seen Back to the Future or, or Rocky Horror. Um, yeah, you can't trust a guy. Who can't do it. Or a gal who hasn't seen Back to the Future. Absolutely, Derek. Uh, do you remember when you first saw the Back to the Future? No, I don't. I was trying to think about it earlier. I don't remember the 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 first time, but it became one of those movies that just like and I and I know you guys can both agree with me, but some movies just feel like home. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one movie that feels like home to me. And I mean, I, it, that goes with the whole trilogy because I love all three movies, but anytime any of them were on is, you know, it just felt like home and, and I loved it. So, but it, I think it grew for me over the years, the older I got, the more, the more I appreciated the movie. So now it's definitely a top, you know, if I had to make a top hundred, it, it would be in there. Yeah. I do remember the first time I saw the movie and I remember it because before I saw the movie, I went on the Universal Studios theme park ride. And I had no idea what I was looking at, but it was, it was so much fun. And my father, after that, for, for a few months, would just constantly just be like, hello, hello, McFly, all the time, just to like bust my chops. I was like, what are you, what are you even talking about? And he was like, yep, yeah, okay. And he just brought the VHS back one day and he was like, all right, you're going to watch this now. And you can, you can understand the joke. And I watched it there, and it, I've, just, I've been in love with it ever since. Such a such a great movie, such a fun movie. And we're seeing it. Like I said, we saw it, Chris and I, and, and Chris's brother Dana. Uh, Dana, come on the show. We uh, saw it in uh, in a theater last year. I think it was like January, February, twenty twenty. Is that yeah. when that landmark theater opened up? Yeah. And uh, you saved me from the last movie I, see, I saw in theaters being Rise of Skywalker. So I appreciate the, in, the invite to that one. Um, also seen with you, actually. Yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was the second to last one I saw before theaters. Uh, well, that was closed. tragic. That, that day was tragic. I'd, yes, yes, it was. That, that'll be an interesting episode uh, <laughs> once we get to that. But um, yeah, so I mean, again, this is a movie that's just been around in our lives, in the popular culture. It's so quotable, and we'll get to more of that later. But for now, we go to one of our weekly segments where, Derek, um, you're going to put 30 seconds on the clock for me. And somehow, if one of our listeners out there has not seen Back to the Future, 
I'm going to give a general overview of what happens. So we, we're on the same page going forward here. I if, wish people could, I, I wish people could hear what I do because I don't use a timer. I just play a song off of Spotify. So only I can hear you do this with a song and it's hilarious. So you're, you're and, telling me that you don't have a stopwatch on your phone? No, I do. I absolutely do. But I'd rather do it to a song on Spotify. It's more entertaining. What's, so right now, so I'm about to put on Power of Love right po now. Okay, there you go. For myself. All right. Give me. No, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Count me down. Three, right. three two, right, one, here go. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. 1980s teenager Marty McFly travels back in time in his scientist friend Doc Brown's time machine to 1955 when Doc is shot by the Libyans he stole plutonium from to power the time machine. In the past, Marty accidentally prevents his parents from falling in love. He spends his time in the past working with a younger Doc to reunite his parents and save Doc's life in the future. With the help of a lightning-struck clock, Marty returns to 1985, the changes he's made in the past, improving his family's lives and saving Doc's life. In the end, Doc takes Marty and his girlfriend Jennifer into the further future. Time. All Perfect. Right. Beautiful. All right. So that's essentially what happens. That's a uh, very high level overview. But if you're listening to this and haven't seen Back to the Future, what are you doing? I, I feel like I just wasted my time. Go watch the movie and, and, right. and come back later. But let's talk about now what we like about the movie. And there's a lot to love about Back to the Future. So we, we do this every week. We count down our favorite scenes uh, in the movie. And I actually found this really hard because I like pretty much every scene in the movie. Yep. But let's, uh, let's start Derek. What is your, right. uh, what is your fa third right. favorite scene? Uh, okay. So let me just preemptively say the scene choosing and the gold, silver, bronze choosing was it's the tough. hardest I've ever had to do in a movie so far in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so these three are tight knit. I'm sure in five days from now, I'll find another scene that I wanted to put in there, but here, here we go. Uh, I would say, uh, my number three is the epic punch to Biff by George McFly. Um, yeah. that segment's awesome. It just, it's one of those things where like as a kid growing up, you know, there are times where you, you meet somebody in school or whatever, and, you know, everybody I think has been bullied at least once. And, you you know, part of you is either very brave or, or another part of you, very, you know, is very wimpish, I guess, or backing off. And a lot of my life, I always felt like I couldn't kind of get it in. Like, I couldn't show who I was. I kind of backed off and I kind of – so to see that and just see, like, this this guy, George McFly, this this nerd or this bug or whatever, uh, as Biff would say it, you know, George finally Irish got it in. bug. Irish bug. He finally got it in and it was epic and he knocked this guy out and it's just like, oh, it's one of those moments you want to jump out and just cheer a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that one gets my bronze. That's that's my third place. Yeah, super fun. In the, um, it, I don't know uh, if either of you have read the, the original script uh, of this. I have. Yeah. So yeah. the two biggest changes, I would say, to the movie or the two ones, that, the two changes that have stuck with me is instead of a DeLorean, the time machine is a refrigerator that gets, uh, tell me if this sounds familiar. Steve oh, I did, I did hear that. Yep. Uh, that uh, is by, they have to sneak out a nuclear bomb test site because the, the clocks mm -hmm. have stopped. Uh, so they know when time it goes off. But the other, the other one is instead of a sci-fi writer, uh, George becomes like the middleweight champion. Because <laughs> it's like so his, weird. Pun his punch to Biff was like, so incredible that he was like, you need to start boxing, George. It's so dumb. <laughs> that script goes off the rails pretty quick, and I highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah, it's, oh it's, it's interesting. And, I mean, the, the, the final script of this is just so incredible, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that more later. 
But uh, Chris, what do you have for your number three scene? So like Derek, picking the, the you know, ordering your favorite scenes from this movie is, is a daunting task to say yeah. the least. I think third overall is Marty's romp in the 1950s. And I mean that segment where he's at Lou's Cafe to when Biff hits the manure truck, the whole thing where George McFly comes into the, into the cafe like the badass that he thinks he is and yeah. says, Lou, give me a milk, chocolate. And that chocolate <laughs> milk slides into <laughs> And then he tells Lorraine, you are my density. And then he blows it further and there's a confrontation with Biff and that's where Calvin Klein just takes it from there. And that whole sequence of how much they're telling you in that scene about character development, having Marty, uh, Calvin Klein be on this adventure stuck in this week in the 50s. And then that one telling line where his mother turns and says, he's an absolute dreamboat, isn't he? <laughs> that has to be my third favorite sequence. My, my favorite part of that scene is when after Marty has tripped Biff and Biff stands up and just keeps going up out of frame yeah. and just towers over Marty. Oh my God. He's huge. Yeah. Compared to him. Yeah. And that visual cue, they, they run with it for the rest of the trilogy too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of callbacks in the other ones. Yeah. So, oh, for sure. For sure. So I have for, uh, for my number three, uh, I actually have the, the final scene in the movie where uh, Marty wakes up uh, in the future and sees like how he's improved 1985 and yeah, his parents have all uh, lost a ton of weight and his uh, siblings are super successful and he has the car he wanted. And then, uh, and then Doc shows up and, and takes, takes off with him and Jennifer and, you know, where we're going, we don't need roads. Uh, it's such a, such a fun scene. And I, you know, we'll get to more of Biff being there in, in another segment, but uh, it's just funny to see him uh, in a different light. But yeah, that, that scene is, you guys just did uh, Capra. That scene is very Capra-esque. Super, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and let's let's talk about this now. This is the superior Jennifer, right? Well, uh, let's not rush to conclusions. Yeah, right? let's. Let, I mean, you, you're sat in this a little bit early, but uh, I don't know. I think, as, I think as far as attractiveness, yeah, I would say yes. I think that she's a, more attractive than Elizabeth Shue personally. But Elizabeth Shue has a lot of personality, and I think she didn't have that, or maybe because she was written in a way where we don't see that much of her anyway, so we can't find mm. out her personality. But I mean, how can you how can you not think about Elizabeth Shue when you're thinking of Back to the Future? I mean, easily because she's she's the second best Jennifer. But uh, moving on. I mean, I guess that's your opinion. <laughs> let's uh, let's go on to uh, to number two, Derek. What do you have? Uh, what do you have for number two? All right. So b before I say my number two, I just wanted to uh, also just switch back to what Chris said. His scene with that chocolate milk that he gets. I will watch it today because uh, I watched the movie today. And clearly not a chocolate milk. That is a chocolate shake. <laughs> Because I saw the way that that liquid went back down, and it did not go down fast. I was like, okay, Derek, by, is... Derek, by the way, for those uh, listeners who don't know, <laughs> is an expert on chocolate milk. Expert, expert. <laughs> All right, uh, my number That's two. Um, <laughs> my number two is uh, Earth Angel and the Johnny Be Good sequences. Um, I love it. I just it's such a, an iconic thing. Um, Earth Angel. It's just like. You know, when it, when the picture the picture starts coming back, everyone, you know, and then George kisses, her, you know, Lorraine and he, he Marty stands back up with the guitar and the singer looks over at him and he's like, wow, you're back. And the guitar chords sound good again. Uh, it's so good. And then, of course, Johnny Be Good, you know, Marty McFly invents rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, but of course, you know, they, they, you know, they have to give Chuck Berry a call and be like, hey, you want to steal this sound, even though we know Chuck Berry wrote it. Yeah. Uh, great, great, great scene great sequences you know yeah uh, i 
I actually, uh, I'll just, I'll jump on here because I have kind of a similar, I have, I have the whole Enchantment Under the Sea dance sequence as my number two. Uh, just like it, from Marty and, uh, and Lorraine pulling up in the car and just the like awkwardness of like, mm. you smoke too? Marty, you're starting to sound just like my mother. And, and then, <laughs> you know, and then... The like the, the stuff we haven't mentioned because we did talk about George laying out Biff. I love George's little like dance that he does. Oh, that so good! Awkward dance. Uh, then, then, that horn behind him. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then also uh, Biff's gang and featuring Billy Zane, uh, yep. picking a fight with the band and just being chased away. Hey, we don't want to mess with no reefer addicts. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm not gonna of course say the word, but they do say some words there that I'm like, yeah, whoa, they do. all right, all right, they do. all right. Yeah, they're well, not, it is uh, the 1950s. Yeah, they're not not right. great guys. Yeah, all right. Yeah, Chris, what do you have for number two? I'm gonna have to agree with both you guys, but yeah. mostly Derek. Uh, okay. The fish on the sea dance, uh, Earth Angel sequence, uh, that whole montage. I agree. That is my number two favorite scene. I, I specifically like the loser who comes over and starts pushing McFly out of the dance. <laughs> yeah, what the hell is he doing? The redhead. He's like I, he's like I dancing with Lorraine. Character. Yeah. I literally mimicked his laugh all day. I kept going. <laughs> I just kept doing then, that. It's so creepy. The fate of Marty's existence is in his father's hands, but yeah. he's actually seeing it in front of him. Like, oh, yeah. dad, you got to do something or else it's it's it for me. Right. And as a kid watching that scene, the, the way the music and the suspense, Alan Silvestri throws the score in when he goes in for the kiss and, and the way that uh, Marvin Berry hits the crescendo of Earth Angel. I yeah. loved that song, Earth Angel. And I'm like a five-year-old kid, like, oh, let's listen to Earth Angel. My mom's <laughs> looking at me like, what? What? That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's put it on. It's a good song. But I'm, I'm really liking it because of the scene in that movie. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's such a great scene. Yeah, and I kind of combined it all into one big, like, from when they pull up to, uh, to the end of Johnny Be Good, basically, is, is, is my okay. whole number two. Which, which a movie this good, it's, it's allowed. Yeah, we'll take it. So let's get to yeah. let's get to number one. I'm interested to hear because uh, yeah, let's let's go, Derek. What's your what's your number one scene? All right, so this might be a little bit you know strange. It's not one of the scenes most people think about, but uh, I don't know why, but the scene always makes me laugh so hard, and I, I I quote it all the time. But it's the scene where he's having dinner with Lorraine's family, and I Jason love- Hervey, young Jason Hervey love- there. I love you know what's a rerun and 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 if you ever have a kid like that i'll disown you look who says that <laughs> who says that and another thing the father also said who who responds this way who the hell is john f kennedy if somebody said to me oh derek that's over on oliver oliver swift street i'm not gonna go who the hell is oliver swift i don't who talks like that uh i love it i love his father he's hysterical the mom's hilarious uh, the son, the, the, the kids and stuff. And then Joey is Uncle Joey in the, in the bar. She's like, yeah, we just leave him in there all day. Like, you know, because he's in prison in the future. Like, just the whole scene is hysterical. I feel, like, uh, I feel like Lorraine's father is, 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 a, is a lousy father. My, oh, my, he's... Because like, you think about it, like, Lorraine, w- without the influence of, of Marty, like, grows up and is kind of a mess. And Joey is in fucking jail. Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> Like it's just not not a great situation. I, I feel like there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of great examples there. Uh, and also, and he, like, and he's like, he, he, oh, he and we hit another kid. Yeah, okay. she, he he totally like doesn't like listen to her either. Lorraine's like out loud. She's like, yeah, and he could sleep in my room. 
And his dad yeah. just kind of lost in the TV. I'm like, what a bad father. You didn't even hear that. Well, that is kind of, I mean, we see George before that. Like she grew up and like married a guy like her father, was just paying attention to the TV at dinner. Right, right. And yeah, I, I, I feel like there's the other line where he's just like, "Oh, I, I hit another kid, or it happened again." Like, what the fuck yeah. is he doing? This guy's like a psychopath out there. Just yeah, again. Does, does that mean? Does that mean George did it again, or was it somebody else? You think? I don't know. Well, there has to be a series of men in these trees. I would imagine. Right, right. I guess so. Just in the middle of the road. <laughs> so chris what do you have for uh for number one well about the father he he's like a throwback character he's representing the schlitz drinking you know the beer drinking dad of the day but you know this movie's a family movie so it doesn't get too much into it but it gives you those hints yeah i feel like mod i feel like fatherhood has changed in the last uh yeah since this movie has come out really right. like in the 80s you had like latchkey kids and now it's just like oh that would never happen now or so rarely happen but even the 50s, it was like they were even more detached. So it's just like modern fatherhood did not exist at that point. Parents are probably idiots too. You ever have a kid <laughs> like that, and I'll disown you. That's right. You, think, you, you, you think he would say, if you ever have a boyfriend like that, I'll disown you. No, no, no. He goes to if you ever have a child like, like what? what? Weird. <laughs> I think it adds to the humor. I think it's good. He's also time traveled. This is, this, is this is what happened. He's somehow like... There's a there's a mid series sequel where like Doc ends up in 1935 and it's like oh, <laughs> Mister Mister Baines, huh? Bates or whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> yes, let's go back to the future. Uh, he's experienced the same thing. So Chris, what do you have for uh, for number one? Well, my number one is the to me the quintessential Back to the Future scene. This is the scene that if you were gonna just show a clip to try to get someone this is this movie, this is, these are these characters. It is the scene where Doc Brown and Marty dissect the reality of the situation where Doc finds out about the 1.21 gigawatts it's going to take to help Marty out. Excellent. And this is a high energy scene. This scene is a comedic scene, excellently per, uh, acted, performed, and then scored with Silvestri, where, this, where the uh, music score is working with the beats of the drama and the mm -hmm. camera and the blocking, and it's all working together to give you this huge payoff of, uh, you know, the second act going into the rest of the film. And Doc Brown's quotes, 1.21 gigawatts. What the hell is a gigawatt? That's yeah. my criticism. How can it be so irresponsible? Yeah. <laughs> It's wrapping up the story. It's telling you, okay, just stay here and lay low. I can't. I've already blown it. I've already interacted with my folks, and, and the rest of the movie gets rolling. And the uh, Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox in this scene, unbelievable. Yeah, yes. can't disagree. It's a, it's a great scene. Doesn't quite make my number one, but it's it's definitely an honorable mention for me. Uh, my number one scene's already been mentioned. It is the second scene in the diner where Marty saves George from Biff and invents skateboarding and Biff and his crew Karina into a manure truck. It's just, it, I just love it. It's perfect. You can't, but again, this whole movie is basically perfect. You can't, it can't fuck with any of it. We've talked about what we liked in this movie and, and, you know, unfortunately with the good comes the bad and with the light comes the dark might be tough for back to the future, but let's talk about our least favorite aspects of the film. Uh, I'll start on this one. Here's my here's my issue really. Biff tried to rape Lorraine. Right? <laughs> Even 30 years on, 
you're just gonna let him like hang around you like if you're George and you have like the physical advantage over Biff right at this point are you gonna let him hang around your wife your daughter like your home like what what is going on there come on George get your head in the game well I think the 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 idea is you know if uh if a clown tries to rape your wife did it really happen because Biff becomes a clown after that but I agree with you. I'm not. I'm not defending Matt at all. I'm just saying the the way they try to cover themselves in the film is like, oh well, he's a, he's a you know a goon afterwards. He's just a clown afterwards. Yeah. Still, you know what? So, Rick, are you are you more are you more upset at the fact that you know George and Lorraine let this guy in their life still, or are you mad that they did that in the movie in general and didn't really explain it? I'm mad at George and Lorraine for letting these people, okay. this guy, hang around. Like he's he should he should be in jail. Yeah, Biff should be in jail st- still thirty years later. Agreed, Derek. What do you, what do you have? What's your least favorite uh, part of? Back All right, of so this 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 was very difficult because again, this could be close to a perfect movie. I think you guys can agree mm-hmm. with that. But you know, it's funny. This is funny because I am actually bouncing right off of what you said, Rick. Only this time, I'm going to say it was Marty's plan because Marty has this plan where I'm going to go and sit and park with my mother. I'm going to like make some moves. And then I'm going to have you, George, come open the door, pull me out and punch me in the stomach. Then you, then you'll live a happily ever after. I feel like his plan is flawed in so many ways. Not even, not even to mention the fact that when he finally gets in the car, he's like, he even says it out loud. You know, you're supposed to do something and you can't do it. Not, not even that, but like, okay. So if this was happening in real life, and, and, and I'm in a car with some woman, or if, I, if I'm Lorraine, and somebody, you know, this guy I know pulls my, my date out of a car, punches him, am I going to be like, oh, George, thank you, I love you, like, what? Or, I mean, unless, was Marty supposed to do the same thing Biff did in some, some sort of way? Like, I don't, the well, plan this seems is, flawed. This is him going off of two assumptions about his mother from what she's, she's told him. Like at the beginning of the movie when she's like, I've never parked with a boy or done anything, kissed a boy or whatever like that when I was your age. And then later on when she tells him, oh, I like a strong man who can defend, you know, defend his, his, his girl or whatever. So he's like, oh, well, this is, let me put two and two together. And like, this is what she would like. And this will work to get uh, her with my father. So I, I can understand where he came from, but he, uh, it was, uh, yeah, obviously did not pan out how he expected right. Uh, Chris, what do you have? What's your, uh, this will be interesting. This is, I'm interested to hear what, uh, not that I wasn't interested to hear you, Derek, but, uh, what is your least favorite part of Back to the Future? All right. So this is kind of strange to even say, because there really is no least favorite part of Back to the Future, but if, if you're going to suspend disbelief and you get, you, you know, you have to put it under the microscope. I think the fact that there were a truckload of guys that died at the mall that night, I mean, it's about traveling through time and, and disrupting your whole thing. But the, the, the plot line about Libyans and plutonium, I get it. It all works. This is why it's a perfect movie. It all works and it all needs to be there. But if there ever was like a, a plot hole, I guess, to call it, that would probably be it. Like what happens with that? There was a, a truck full of dead Libyans. At the mall. At the mall, plutonium. And, and you know, that's that's going to mess stuff up. And even once he fixes the past and comes back to the future and saves Doc Brown, those Libyans still end up in the same situation. Like, yeah. So the Doc and the Doc and Marty have to like 
retrieve the bodies and cover it up? Like, does the media get down there? Like, oh, what the hell? Let's look at the security cameras, see what the hell is going on. All that DeLorean just disappeared. So that whole thing is my, and mind you, it's a perfect movie. Yeah. But if I had to pick, which, you know, with Rick's extreme pressure, I do have to pick, that pick opens one. up a lot of thought train. Like, okay, so what happened with that? Well, I bet, Chris, I bet did, Doc did, takes the, did the... Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, Rick, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet Doc takes the blame for that. Takes right. the blame for those guys dying? Yeah. I think, I think uh, mad scientist Doc, Dr. Emmett Brown murdered the Libyans. But that's not where I want my head to go, you know? <laughs> Now, did they act? Did they actually die? Do we see them die, or they just crash? Hopefully, they don't die because that puts a huge, blows a huge hole in the whole thing. But uh, it seems like they're dead because Marty comes back and the thing hits the the booth, and none of them like, you know, yeah. crawl out of the truck or anything. Right, they're right. there for a while. Did did Doc yeah, yeah. go? Did Doc go and just finish the job? He's like, I just gotta make sure these <laughs> Libyans are fucking dead. Give me a second, Marty. I'll drive you home later. There's, there's a subplot point that we don't know before before marty comes back and, and doc shows him the letter um uh, doc goes and like gets a, gets a part-time job at like a mcdonald's and poisons their food <laughs> <laughs> so at that exact moment because he's a scientist he knows that when they go and come to attack him they're gonna die probably around the time they try to kill him oh we got we got an um, hbo reference for you derek it could be oh, yeah. like when uh, when Tony Soprano and Christopher Moltisante have to make Ralphie disappear. <laughs> All right. So now we talked about our, our favorite scenes and our least favorite parts of the movie. Let's give out some awards. And we do this every week in the form of a bronze, silver, and gold medal to the individual impacted, benefited from, or in any way integral to this movie. So, Chris, let's start, uh, start with you here. Who is your, uh, your bronze medal winner? So I'm just going to say this is a big cheat on my part, but you got to cut me some slack, you know, and I said, there are cheats every week. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So Derek, let's join the cheaters club this week with the bronze Mm -hmm. going to the McFlies. That's a big cheat, (laughs) but okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I had to, because who, how do you, how do you rank the McFlies? So you just rank them all together. And that's includes, you know, the loser brother and the annoying sister too. (laughs) So the McFlies, George, Elaine, and Marty is my bronze. So let's move on. Derek, who do you have? Who's your bronze Okay, now I said this before, and I'll say it again. This was the absolute hardest thing I've had to do. This movie specifically, I don't know what it was. Everybody's so freaking good in this movie. Yeah. Um, So I could switch these around any day of the week. Just just happens to fall where they fall. Uh, right now, my bronze is going to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale as a tie. Uh, I think they they wrote and directed a fantastic movie. Um, I, I give them so much props because not only do they have to think about this very elaborate plot and all these different specifics of things, like everything had to be perfect. They did their research about the 50s to make sure that, you know, with their phone books back then, let's make sure we, 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 we tie into that so we can use that for Marty later. All these things, even to the point where they were like, Eric Stoltz is not working as Marty McFly. You know, they, they, they've done so much. They did so much. They deserve higher, honestly. But uh, I, I seem to give directors and writers very high spots every week. So this week I decided to give them the bronze. Okay. Uh, so my bronze went to Christopher Lloyd. And that is because he, like I said, he, I could easily put my bronze, silver, gold medal winners uh, at any position 
and I'd, I'd stand by it or like uh, multiple other people as well. I really, there were a few people I was like, I really want to give this, this person credit, but, but we'll, uh, I'll, I'll do some, some honorable mentions here as well if they don't get mentioned. But uh, for Christopher Lloyd, he just absolutely fucking throws heat every frame he's in this movie. He, we talked about earlier, he has the, so many iconic lines, 1.21 gigawatts, 88 miles per hour. Uh, Ronald Reagan, the actor. Uh, <laughs> Just, just so much, so much goodness from Christopher Lloyd. So he's a very deserving bronze medal winner. Chris, who do you have for silver? Well, I'm going to have to copy you on that one. Silver goes to Christopher Lloyd. All right. I think you said it perfect. You summed him up perfect. There's nothing more I can contribute to that. It's just that who, who can you picture? And we'll get into this later when we do the casting, but who can you picture nailing that role as hard as he nails it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't do it. Derek. Who do you ever silver? All right. Another, and again, I'm sorry if this is considered cheating, but another tie here. It's just a very difficult movie for me. Dead tie, silver, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Okay. Um, I think they just worked. It's such a strange relationship that they have. It's like this teenager who like, it befriends this old man who's a scientist. Like, I want to know how they met. Like what? He calls him doc. It's like, he, it's just so strange, but they play off each other so well. The chemistry between the two actors is phenomenal. Every scene that they're in together, it's just like, it seems like they're buddies. <clears throat> and uh, I just love the chemistry they both have. Michael J. Fox, he literally takes a character that could be kind of bland because he's the, the lead role. You know, he's just the guy who takes us through the story. It's easy for us to be like, well, he's just whatever. He's like the, the typical teenager. Michael J. Fox gives that character so much color. And yeah. I think, you know, I think the director and the writer saw that, like, Eric Stoltz wasn't really giving it the color it needed. Um, just, just when, you know, your opening line, you know, you, you turn this a time machine into a DeLorean? Like, the way he emphasizes words, I could see why, you know, a show like Rick and Morty may have gotten, the, you know, the basis for this. Yeah, it wouldn't but, exist um, without this movie. Right. So Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, they, I, I can't talk enough about Christopher Lloyd. He's fantastic. And this is 1985. This year, he also uh, was in Clue. Great year for Christopher Lloyd, fantastic actor, one of the most versatile actors uh, in, you know, Adam's Family, Clue, Back to the Future, you get the list goes on. So, Dennis the Menace, um, the creepiest the character Menace, yeah, played. He, he Switchblade Sam, the villain. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so sh- they, they get, they get my uh, silver. I'm sure one day when there's, you know, Universal Plus, they'll have a, a, a series online where Marty and, and um, Doc are friends, maybe animated like the old show that when we were kids or maybe something new like Disney Plus does explore the origin a little bit. Well, the Universal Plus kind of already exists. It's called Peacock. It's just the worst name ever. But there is uh, there's some good stuff on there. Yeah, my my silver, I went to Michael J. Fox. And you you cannot think of like better casting for this role. It's just it's just not possible. Uh, I, I didn't do back then because I, I just updated it today, but he, he imbues so much heart into a character that could go either way into boring or into obnoxious, and he just walks that line and, and, and does such a great job. I mean, to the point, I mean, you mentioned they just scrapped weeks of filming just so he, because he's available for the role, right? and mm-hmm. it was worth every penny that they spent to, to get him uh, in, in this because it, I don't think the movie works without him. You know, I mean, the, the, I mean, we talked about the scene with Biff, with the, you know, with the the physicality. Like, yeah, Biff is big, but it works because Marty is is small and quick, and like he's 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 yeah, it's awesome. And and you buy that, you know, he's like the coolest teenager on the block. 
uh, the way he stumbles over words in the face of something unbelievable just makes it so much easier to absolve the suspense, you know, of disbelief and to go along for the ride. Yeah. Because you are, you're the surrogate. Marty's the surrogate for this story. He's, he's who you want to be as a teenager, but not like, he's not James Dean or he's not like impossibly cool. He's just like, if I really tried, and I was really the coolest version of myself as a teenager. I could be like Marty McFly. He's 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 attainably, uh, uh, I guess, uh, as, attainably aspirational. Uh, let's mm-hmm. let's say that. But he like he he absolutely kills it. Uh, so let's move on to gold. Uh, Chris, who do you have for gold? So I'm gonna ch- cheat again, do another combo, and I'm mm-hmm. gonna actually steal Derek's bronze. Oh, was it silver? Um, Gold yep. for me is Zemeckis and Gale. And part of loving this movie means that I've watched all the extra features on, you know, VHS and Laserdisc and DVD and Blu-ray. I've seen all the interviews and the YouTube documentaries and all the stuff that they've said about this movie. I've read the books about this movie. And it always comes down to those two guys' vision, the larger picture. Um, the commitment to comedy and timing is so important. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter that the whole thing's the universe. They built this whole Back to the Future universe. The commitment to actually having it work and be funny was a huge commitment on their part. And Rick, when we saw this in February last year, we you can remember, we've seen it with people who've never seen this yes. movie. And we're bringing friends to see, oh, you've never seen this classic? And the jokes were all still hitting. They were hitting, the- they were hitting now 35 years later. I still laugh when I see it and yeah. when I watch it. When I watched it the other night, I was still laughing. But I'm a mark for this movie, so yeah. I don't count. But yeah. when you see it in the theater, and I always take a chance. Whenever this movie's playing in the theater, I always go see it. And when you see it in a theater and you see it with a new Gen Z crowd and they're all laughing and all the, all the uh, jokes are landing, that commitment is prevalent through how much this movie works despite the 35 years, whatever it's been yeah. since it was made. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump onto this as well, because my gold is Zemeckis and Gale as well. Uh, I, I, I cheated for once. But yeah, I mean, specifically, the script for this is, especially for, for a blockbuster, is so tight. There's zero fat on it. Every line, every joke pays off and does so in a way that works. You know, nothing doesn't land. And I mean, just the, it's so quotable, like we said before the the care with which they made this movie is is so evident and i would say it's Zemeckis's best movie but um you know there, there may be some disagreement there but uh just just chef's kiss incredible script incredible movie and i, I give those to my gold so derek since they were your bronze, you must have somebody else who do you have oh yeah dude i got i got some i got a curveball for you guys and this uh I'm sure a lot of people agree with this too uh, around the world, uh, but I got I to give my goal to Thomas Wilson. Okay. Uh, I think he's just unbelievable. Every time I think of Back to the Future, I think of, I think of Fox, Lloyd, and, and Wilson. And uh, he, you know, j- just from all the research I've done, everything that I've seen from the trilogy of movies, but just this one alone too. I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world. Everybody says it. Yeah. Um, he's a sweet guy and he turns into this like, absolute believable piece of shit human being and you know it's one of those things where i'll bring up the wwe just because we're all fans it's like you know it, it's it's easy to be a bad guy in the wwe and it's hard to be a face sometimes it's easy to be a jerk but 
I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really helping myself here by saying that because I should have went the opposite direction. No, but, but he's so yeah, good just, at it. He's he's, he's so good at being yeah. an asshole. Yeah, he really is. And uh, his like, I I read that like so many of the lines and catchphrases he made up like butthole, like you know butthead and like you know make like make like a tree and get out of here. Like all yeah. those things are like his ideas. Um, he's uh, every scene he's in, he's amazing and he's hilarious. Um, and that's the great thing. He's he's such a jerk, but he's also really likable and funny. Uh, because of that reason and uh, I don't know he's the ultimate bully he's the ultimate bully yeah. of, of any movie I've seen I mean his name's even Biff Biff yeah, yeah. it's like it's so Biff good Tannen you know I wish it was a I want to see you know of course I'll never be another Back to the Future remake or, or fourth one a remake because I know Zemeckis said that I would oh, like God, to see a movie just on Biff just his upbringing <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know he lives with his grandmother. We find out in the sequels. So. Right, you get a little hint of that in the in the sequels. Yeah, no, yeah, I, like, I agree. Like, and he's just the scene of him walking down the street in the second one, and he's like, the kids lost their ball. He's like, oh, you want this ball? Go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Even as an evil laugh, like what? Yeah. He's uh, I I I yeah I I really tried to get him a medal, and I just couldn't put him put him above Lloyd Fox, Zemeckis, and Yale, but. So- I, I so wanted to like, and, and yeah, he's, because he's so excellent in this and he embodies that character so much. And, and you know, the, the crazy thing is Rick, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. it. It makes me wonder how he wasn't cast in every single movie after that. Like, where did he go? Like, what happened? Uh, because he so gets typecast as a giant piece of shit. I mean, Sometimes yeah, but you like, have to take the money and run. Yeah. But, 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 but even, you know, even him at the end of back to the future, like he's just like, Oh yeah, no problem. He's so good at doing that. He's versatile. Me, we can see that. Shitty movies just because he was in them, he and was... I watched them because Thomas F. Wilson was in them, and I'm like, "Wow, that movie yeah. sucked," but it's good to see Biff again. He did some right, stand up, yeah. which is very funny. He has like a, a oh, song. Oh yeah. Yeah, he has yeah, a yeah, song yeah. about all the questions people ask him about yeah, Back to the yeah. Future, which is I hilarious. Yeah, it's so good. And so, Derek, it's not too much a curveball because he was clearly he he was on me and Rick's radars well. But if we're talking just the third movie, he's on the, you know, he's, he's getting a medal. Either of the sequels, two, you, uh, two, I'd be really hard not to give him gold. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you know, spoiler alert, and you probably disagree with me, but actually two is my favorite out of the three. Um, that's and, uh, that's uh, a scorching uh, hot take, and it's, it's completely uh, incorrect. No, when it comes <laughs> to the Back to the Future trilogy, there is no correct way to praise it. I mean, incorrect right, way right. to prove it. I will, I will, I mean, this is not, I, I will defend two to the day I die. I think two was ultimately the best by far. It has so much that the first one doesn't have, and it just adds more to the story. And that's why I like it so much. But regardless, um, yeah, Thomas Wilson get my, gets my gold, and I'm standing by it. Well, folks, on that note, if uh, you wanted to reach out to us on uh, social media and let us know what you think of that bombshell, we are the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. And please send us an email with your thoughts at greatestmoviepod at, at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Thomas Wilson is great. And I, I mean, I really wanted to fit him in there and Crispin Glover, who's so good in this as well. Mm-hmm. Because it, I remember... Chris, when we saw that that movie, is Crispin Glover is getting the most laughs out of anybody. Like everything he did was just the people who hadn't seen it before were freaking out. Well, they said like I think it was like a lot of the actors were being interviewed and they were like Crispin Glover is the funniest guy. They were like he his his timing was impeccable. Everyone was saying it. Yeah, no, it's he's he's great. He um, asked him about bird watching and he goes, "What Lorraine? What?" <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, we talked about who we liked in the movie and let's talk about, you know, let's see if there's any role that we might recast or do an updated cast for. I decided to go with who I would cast today if I had to, but I just want the world to know that the official stance of the show is that they should never touch this masterpiece. Don't, don't remake it. But if we had to, gun to our head, we had to recast it. Let's see what we would do. Derek, do you have a, uh, you know, which direction you decided to go in? Did you have anybody? I mean, it, 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 this is so hard because the cast is so good. It's so, it's A+. plus. This yeah. is an A-plus cast. I mean, who, who, you know, I, I, could, I could give you bullshit ones, but, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it. That's, that's fine. That's, that's, a, that's an admirable uh, stance to take. Uh, Derek didn't, uh, didn't come prepared, but uh, we'll move. No, 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 no. I came no, prepared. Get, I came prepared. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying I just can't, can't do, do it. it. Um, no, no, I, I, I understand. I, I get that line of thinking. Chris, did you, uh, did you have anything? So trying to think about casting it nowadays gave me hives. Okay. Um, I didn't want to think too much about that. Cause like you said, you don't want to give uh, universal plus any ideas, you know, they they might listen to this podcast and start remaking and signing people. However, the thoughts did occur to me. So I did who I would put in today and who I would put in back then. So we'll start with today. Oh, you did both. Okay. I, I think it would be funny if um, Joe Rogan played, Mayor Red Thomas, who's also the homeless guy in red. I was not yeah. expecting that. <laughs> yeah, That's a bigger bombshell than my gold. Yeah. Because it, because it crossed my mind, I knew I had to share it with you guys. Mayor Red Thomas was the mayor of 1955. Um, you remember him from the advertisement, Real like Mayor Red Thomas. Yeah. And then in 1985, he's the homeless bum who's in the uh, Time Valley, I mean, uh, Hill Valley um, Square when Marty comes back and he sits up and he kind of sees it happen and Marty looks Crazy and he goes, Red. drunk drivers. I, I think Joe Rogan would be good as Red Joe, Thomas. Why Joe Rogan? <laughs> Just because it, it would be funny to see Joe Rogan in that role. All right. No no other reason. I, not, it, I mean, would be, it would be something. As I'm, as I'm thinking of this, I'm like, well, I, I mean, if they did remake it, you'd have to get Rogan to play uh, Red Thomas. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> Of course, naturally, naturally, naturally. <laughs> as we all expected. Uh, all right, <laughs> what else? What else you got? Like Rick said, do not remake this movie ever. But if you had to, and put it this way, if it went on Broadway, I wouldn't mind going to see it on Broadway with okay. Paul Giamatti playing Doc. Oh, I like that. I think Giamatti'd be a pretty funny Doc. You know, I mean, he's got one point twenty-one gigawatts. Yeah. He plays with his voice a lot, Giamatti. He's kind of more brooding than Doc, which I think fits like the overall, you know, the creepy side of the character. Yeah. Like you said earlier, befriending the 17-year-old kid and, and the history that he had, the reputation in the town, like, oh, crazy, crazy man Brown. So when it comes to recasting the film in the 80s, I don't think you can touch any of the teenagers because they were all unknown and they all kind of made their, you know, sure. not... 100% unknown, obviously, Michael J. Fox, but they're all kind of made their bones and made history with this movie. And they're going to know generations of people long after they're gone because of this movie. So I wouldn't touch any of the teenagers, but if you had to, again, bullet to the head, gun to the head, I would say if you recast and doc, you stick with the, ta the taxi cast. Okay. And in Taxi, also Christopher Lloyd, there was Andy Kaufman. Ooh. And there was also Danny DeVito. 
as Louis De Palma, and I wouldn't mind seeing either of those actors try their go at Doc Brown. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Danny so, DeVito as Doc brings a whole edge to it, you know, this stubborn especially little... Especially that era DeVito. Danny, Danny DeVito, 1985, yeah. Different physicality entirely. It'd be very interesting. So... Kaufman, yeah. you can never get him on this page to do it, but I think... Can you imagine know, Andy Kaufman and Crispin Glover on the same set? What the fuck would that be? Yeah, oh Kaufman <laughs> took the business seriously. I think he could have done it, too. So. Did you have any more, or is that... No, we, just, we go to me. That was it. Like the cast a taxi. Throw in Tony Danza for good measure. Not as Doc, but fit him in there. The yeah. Cast a taxi. Danza as a as Biff. Tony Danza yeah, as Biff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I I recast it as of uh, what I would do today, and I I did kind of cheat on one. I recast the roles of Marty, Doc, and Lorraine. And yeah. Lorraine, I kind of cheated on because I was like. Who reminds me of Leah Thompson? That that's an actor of of an age that could uh, that could work, and I landed on Zoe Deutsch, Leah Thompson's daughter. Uh, would I would just have her play the role that that her mother originated? But Marty and I, this one there is kind of a semi popular meme out there that I took half of, where Marty I think the only one that I've seen that has that energy that could play that role is Tom Holland. Okay. Yeah, That's I, actually a really, 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 really good choice. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something going around a while back. It's like, have Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. remake the movie. I don't have Robert Downey Jr.'s doc. I have someone who it could go sideways, but he's, he's an excellent actor, and he would need to sort of hone in. I'd like to see his take. And for doc, I had Jim Carrey. You know what? You know what? Yes, Rick. Yes. Yeah, if he could, yeah. if he went like way too off the wall, it would be it would be too much. But if he could rein himself in like twenty twenty five percent, I I think it would work. I, I mean, I can see it, but I'm having a hard time accepting it. Yeah, I mean, it should never happen. It should never happen. But you know, once uh, once Zemeckis dies, and uh, they they pry the script from his cold dead hands, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Bob Gale too. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, he, he. I, I guess the two of them said, "While they're both alive, so do gotta it. kill yeah. both." Yeah, there's a there's a there's a sniper at Comcast uh, Studios, uh, Comcast headquarters right now. Just be like, just give me the word. I'll take him out. We can remake Back to the Future. Uh, you know what though, Rick? I, I, you know, it's funny. You said Robert Downey Jr. I mean, him and Tom Holland already have such a good chemistry. Yeah. They, they would be they would be badass. I mean, if they, if if they did a remake and the two of them were in it, I wouldn't be upset. It would be interesting, but I, I, I don't think, I think Downey's Doc would be too similar to Tony Stark. Well, I was thinking more like Sherlock Holmes, but maybe. Yeah. yeah. He just comes in and starts doing a British accent. It's like, Doc, where are you? <laughs> I think the remake, fears of the remake, we wouldn't really rely on the, whether the cast can do it. I think it would be the creative side, like the uh, yeah. writer's side and the direction. I think that that's where they'll blow it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. They would uh, they would uh, completely fuck it up. But uh, maybe you know, we can do, maybe we can do your Holland plus my Giamatti on Broadway, and I like can it. Go I'm in. I'm in for. That's I'm in for good. that. It's Holland, good. Giamatti, and Back to the Future on Broadway. Let's do it. Let's do it. The flying. Uh, oh, oh, it'd be great. You could have the DeLorean fly over the the audience at the end. It would be fantastic. Okay, yeah. 
So uh, we here at The Greatest Movie of All Time, we recognize that uh, not every movie can be the greatest one. There can only be a single one. We know this. But I think we do also contend that every movie does at least one thing better than any other. And uh, I think Back to the Future is a few. I have three of them. I think it is the best time travel comedy that will ever exist. Can't uh, can't mess with my my uh, my eyes. I think it has the best mad scientist in movies, possibly Doctor Frankenstein, but I think uh, I put Doc Brown above him. And I think it has the best bully. We talked about it uh, earlier. I don't think there's another bully character that can that can stand up to Biff. Maybe maybe uh, Buzz McAllister uh, from previous episode Home Alone. Okay, can we can we stop you there? Because Biff would destroy Buzz in a fight. I mean, not in a fight, but just in the in the bully. Well, I, mean, I think what he means is is that Buzz is Biff's bitch. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, because I was saying, like, even at the end of the movie, Buzz was like, you know what? It's cool you didn't burn the house down. You'll never get a compliment from Biff. Yeah. <laughs> Biff was waxing George's like car. You, you, we had to. We didn't have a choice. <laughs> he didn't have a choice. So, <laughs> so, so George became the the villain, uh, the bully at the end, and just bullied Biff George, for. Exactly. I mean, when you think about it, Biff bullied George for. Uh, at most uh, 16 years, you know, at, at yeah, probably less, 10 years. George bullied him right back for 30 years. George is like, you try to rape my wife, I'm going to rape your soul. <laughs> now, Clean Biff, my fucking car. Biff, if, I, if I find one speck of dirt in that car, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. He's like, oh, With my tennis like, racket. Right, Alternatively, right. In, in when, when Biff goes unchecked in the alternate 95, he's a murderer. Yeah, you know, he, he, that's he true. Shoots people. Yeah, so Biff's a little bit more badass. And Buzz, at the end of the day, is is a, more of an Eddie Haskell. The closest we see Biff get into Eddie Haskell territory is a sarcastic comment to the principal when he says, oh, no, I'm not drinking liquor because I'm too young to drink it in that second. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Chris, what, uh, what does Back to the Future uh, do better than every other movie? So this is probably, um, after I say this, it's probably going to be my last time on the show because you're probably going to stop talking to me. You're going to be hot. Okay. You're going to be red okay. hot about this take. I think Back to the Future does 80s Hollywood cinema better than the rest. I think yeah, it's I the best 80s movie. All right, cool. You know, best movie of the 80s? Movie, Be- the best I- movie in the, of the 80s or the best movie no, no, about the not 80s? The best, not the best movie in the 80s. It does the 80s. Like, okay. what is this movie? It does the 80s. And okay. it doesn't, you know, it's just not, it's trying to be modern when it's in the 80s scenes. But to me, it is the ultimate 80s, more so than Hughes, more so than the teen, you know, all the sex comedies from the 80s, the teen comedies. This one is the ultimate 80s movies. This movie does 80s so hard from the Nike sneakers to the DeLorean time machine um, to the to the Ford truck waiting in his driveway yeah. when he gets home and he fixes the future and now he's got the materialistic reward for you know correcting the past. This movie screams 80s to me, and I think it's it does the 80s the best more so than any 80s movie. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that too much. It's a it's a quite the quite the good shout there, Derek. Do you have anything or Chris? Do you have any more? Well, I mean, time travel as well, and, yeah. and I agree with you on that one. But you already mentioned that one. Sure. All right, Derek. What uh, what what do you have? All right, we got. Um, so we, I mentioned it earlier. It has the best, in my opinion, the best bully in any movie in the history of film. Yep. Um, also, it's now. This is now. Bear with me here. Okay. You already know 
how I stand with the trilogy, which is my favorite. This is the best sci-fi opening movie in a trilogy. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a cop-out. Better than, better than a, Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I'm not, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Um, well, plus Star Wars is more than just a hard trilogy. Yeah, it's this more is of a hard more trilogy. Of, okay, right, right. I, you'll, never, you'll never hear me sit down and give props to Star Wars. It doesn't come, it doesn't come off, and I have a lot of problems with all the movies. But wow. I will say that, in my opinion, I think Back to, the, Back to the Future, the first one is the best opening to a trilogy that has to do with sci-fi. I can't think of another sci-fi trilogy that, yeah. that is better than I'm this one. For to. me, for me personally. Plus, it, plus, if we're going to talk about Star Wars anyway, everyone knows the second one of, of the old ones is considered the better one. So I guess if, even if I was a big Star Wars fan, I'd probably still go with this answer. Okay. All right. I'll accept it. We'll, uh, we'll revisit that conversation down the line. So we've, uh, we've talked about uh, what we think of the movie, but every year, the Hollywood big wigs and uh, movers and shakers, they get together and they decide what they think were the best movies of the year when they give out the Academy Awards, AKA the Oscars. And Back to the Future did get four nominations and one win, one for best sound effects, nominated for uh, original screenplay, original song, and sound. Let's though, let's go over the, the other major categories and let's see if we think Back to the Future should be in there because this is uh, an interesting year. Not, uh, I mean, the 80s was very interesting for the, uh, for the Oscars, kind of all over the place. This year, Best Picture, the winner was Out of Africa. Other nominees were The Color Purple, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Pritzi's Honor, and Witness. So I will say that, and this, this may be a hot take, I don't particularly like The Color Purple. I think that's definitely a hot take. Hot take, yeah. I think it's just, it's a slog to get through. I think it's I think it's Spielberg at his uh, when Spielberg sometimes tries to get over serious it backfires and that one doesn't necessarily work for me so I would put Back to the Future I'd slot that in there over Color Purple I was gonna say that's the only one I've seen out of those movies so I I couldn't even I couldn't even take that one out you know what I mean so, yeah, do I think Back to the Future should be in there? For sure. I just don't know which one because I haven't seen them. But I feel like Color Purple, because I've seen it and because I know it's an emotional movie, I, it's hard for me to just remove it, considering I haven't seen the other ones. So that's just my take. Have sure. you seen all the movies in there? Or? I've not seen all of them. I've, I've not seen Kiss of the Spider Woman. And I've actually that sounds not... like a bad movie, just from the title. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually not seen Out of Africa, so I can't speak to whether or not it should win. But I've I've seen the other three. It sounds like a down year for uh, movies, really, for the Oscars that year. Yeah, I yeah. Think so too. there there are some other nominees later on in in other categories that I I really like. You know, including Back to the Future. Brazil uh, is this year. I'll cut this. Ran Ran is this year. Kurosawa, fucking that should be that should win. Ran. I don't know. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the movie Clue, and I think it, sh- it doesn't get enough props. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, in the '80s. I'm just looking up right now, like what what did come out else in uh, 1985, and I'm seeing some some '80s titles here. We're talking Breakfast Club, 
the oh, Goonies. Wow. Not that I would nominate these films. I'm yeah. just saying for quintessential 80s, it's right there. And Weird Science was that year. This Saint is, this is the Life. absolute thick of the 80s. Yeah, uh, this is as 80s as you're going to get. And yeah. also Clue. Yeah. G- great, great year for comedies. I think this was, uh, I think this was Back to the Future's year to win Best, Best Picture, to be honest. Like that, I think those, if I've we... seen some of those dramas, but yeah. none of them had the lasting impact that this movie has. I mean, and you don't know that when you vote that year. But just coming away from a movie, you should know how it made you feel. And if you're howling, laughing, and if you know if you're all along for this ride and this roller coaster, this journey, and you're having fun, you should know how that feels. And that's how comedies do get nominated and sometimes win. So yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely a, a pretty legitimate case that Back to the Future should be nominated and possibly win this year. But we'll uh, you know because we on this show are going to watch every single movie ever made eventually because we are going to live forever uh, and watch every single one until the heat death of the universe we're gonna talk about all these movies uh and we'll we'll decide which one is the most worthy oscar winner but let's move on to the other categories here and you know next one best uh, director uh sydney pollock wins for out of africa hector babenko for kiss the spider woman is nominated as well john houston pritzy's honor kurosawa for ran and Peter Weir for Witness. So, I mean, I feel like of these nominees, Kurosawa should have should have uh, won because yeah. that movie's a fucking classic. Yeah, I think at this point, Zemeckis is doing his. Uh, I think it's a second to third movie at the point, and I don't think they're ready to put him up with uh, Pollock and Kurosawa and the Best Director nom. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, look between Pollock. Houston and Kurosawa, you could throw in literally any other two directors and it would still be like among the most legendary uh, director nominee list of all time. But Chris, what do you think? Would you, uh, would you throw some Zemeckis in there? I, I just can't see it being a reality. I like that they nodded towards the screenplay. Yeah. And I think that that should have been the window to put it in for best picture, but I yeah. can't say that he was the best director that year. And I've seen some of those movies, and it's actually funny that you, Spielberg wasn't nominated, but his movie wins Best Picture. Yeah, that is interesting. Imagine, imagine the 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 Murderers Row if it was like Spielberg instead of Babenko. Like, look at those those five. Holy shit! But I wonder what the the the, cat, the categories are for like what makes you nominated for a Best Director? Like how much time you put in? Like what what's the deal? You know. So if if I'm correct. Basically, the way the Oscars work is that for every other than Best Picture, only certain members of the Academy vote on the category. So Best Director is decided by directors. And uh, but I think you're talking the guilds. You're talking the guilds. I, I think I'd, I'd have to look into it because they are so you know obtuse with how they – yeah. how votes are made so nobody i don't think like i don't really know but i i know that everybody votes for best picture right and or maybe it's just there that certain like the directors nominate the directors. i don't know uh we'll have to t- find somebody in the academy to be on the show and uh, and let us know yeah so i mean let's so so we'll, we'll hold off on on best director because yeah i, I think like I said, the direction is is good in this is very good but it's not the 
Yeah. Yeah, although, I mean, there's some great moments. You know, I'd, I'd listen well, to a case, but I'm not ready to, to put him in there. Well, not only that, but like, you know, like I said previously, like, you know, we know that he could have left Eric Stoltz in there and could have made the movie, but he decided that he knew what was best for his movie. Well, that's not direction. That's casting, you know? I, I, I guess, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he knew so, he knew best for his movie. That's what I'm saying. I, of those lists, of that list, those films, a lot of them are over two hours plus, two yeah. hour plus movie. Like uh, out of Africa, I did see it, and I, I do think it's a good movie. All tech text checks all the technicality boxes, but it's a bitch to get through. Zemeckis yeah. made a fast-paced movie where the the sensation from the audience, like I don't think the audience back then cared if it was fast-paced, but he made a perfectly paced movie. And if you notice what he does with the camera in that is it there's almost no static shots. Almost every shot in that movie, the camera moves. And that's a way to subtly keep the pace moving. So the, the camera's not fixated on Hill Valley. It's a big sweeping and pan of all of Hill Valley, the whole square, Marty walks for it, you know? The yeah. camera moves almost every shot. That's in the script as well. You know, that's like, it, it's just, there's, there's no time to dwell on something. You're just moving on to the next thing. So, I mean, that's why when something, you know, kind of ridiculous happens, we, we're just moving on. You know, and it's just like that just happened and we accept it and here we are. So, I mean, it is, it is, you know what, the more we're talking about it, I think we, we need to, we need to throw him in there. He's, uh, he's still too uncut, you know, he's still, he, I mean, it's a great film and it should have got the, he's just still. Yeah, he, but you know what, this is, uh, this is not the Academy. This is the greatest movie of all time, Oscars. So let's, uh, let's throw him in there. They hooked that's, him up when and you guys talked about it in '94. They hooked him up for a nom then, right? That's that's true. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna oh, take yeah. him up if we're gonna take him up for Forrest Gump, then uh, we might as well put him in Back to the that's Future. That's how the business works. They want you to pay your dues, and then you know when they're yeah, re- when they're dues, ready to, when they're ready to reward you, they will. Yep. And AKA then, AKA Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Yep, yeah. and Tarantino still hasn't won his Oscar from uh, his we, make good from '94. So we, we think Scorsese's ready in '06. You know, he's been making great movies since the early yeah. '70s, but '06. You know, you know what always bugged me about that Oscar is the fact that they were like, they made no. I, I kind of wish he didn't win because they were like, who's gonna present Best Director? And it's all of Martin Scorsese's best friends. Right. It's like Lucas Spielberg. Like it's like all right. Like okay, I wonder. I wonder where this is going. But yeah, so that's best director. You know what? I'm I. We may come back to this when we come back to eighty-five or eighty-six. But uh, let's move on. So best actor, uh, William Hurt wins for Kisses of Spider Woman. Harrison Ford nominated for Witness. James Garner Murphy's Romance. Jack Nicholson Pritzi's Honor. John Voight in Runaway Train. Can we put Michael J. Fox in here? I don't know. I, I you know I haven't seen a lot of those. Yeah, those performances. So it's hard for me to, to say on this. However, based off of what I have seen in 1985, absolutely. Yeah, but I have to see those performances before I make that call. But so what I've seen from 85, yeah. Okay, we'll hold on. So we'll hold on until we visit one of these movies on an episode. We'll hold on for Zemeckis for director, and possibly Michael J. Fox as actor. I don't think we have anybody for best actress. No. But- Best Supporting Actor. Do yes. We, yeah, Christopher yeah. Lloyd, I would think we go with, right? I mean, him and Crispin Glover will have to have the uh, the knife fight over it. But yeah. yeah. So the winner is uh, Donna Michi in Cocoon, bizarrely. 
Interesting. Klaus Maria Brandauer from, and out of Africa. Uh, William Hickey in Pritzi's Honor. Robert Loja in Jagged Edge. Robert Loja. That's Robert cool. Loja. And uh, Eric Roberts. How about that? And Runaway Train. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, I am pretty comfortable not only saying uh, he, sh- he should be nominated, he should win this category. You're right? saying Michael J. Fox should win for Best Actor? No, no, no. I'm saying Christopher Lloyd. Oh, Christopher Lloyd for, for, okay, for supporting. Gotcha. Honestly, uh, yeah, I would say that too. I mean, uh, are we are we totally opposed of to saying that Thomas Wilson deserves a, a nom for this category as well? I think we got to pick one actor. We got to pick I, one. I get it. It's got to be Lloyd. I yeah, I think because none of these. I mean, I feel like Don Amici in fucking Cocoon is just a very, very much. And I feel like there's one of these every single episode where it's like, oh, you've been around long enough. Like, right. We, we right. know who you are. Let, let's give you an Oscar. Right. You know? Perfect uh, year to get a compensation Oscar. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what he's being compensated for <laughs> other than just like the time he put in. Yeah. Let it, Chris, Christopher Wood just wins this category outright. Like who, who, do we, who, do we, who do we take out? Just pick you can one. Teach pick. a comedy acting class based off of Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. You know, if you're teaching a class, you can show this as a reference. If it was on Broadway, he would have won a Tony for the same performance. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's. Uh, I mean, leave Don Amici in there just because he won. I'm assuming he's the best out of those people. <laughs> Cocoon is not a great movie, in my opinion. Well, but okay. leave Robert Logier in there because no one could play Robert Logier better than Robert Logier. Yeah. So, Keep I'm thinking we take. Uh, I mean, you you tell me, Chris. You've seen Out of Africa, Klaus uh, Klaus Maria Brindauer. Yeah, take him out because I'm take trying to out. think of who the who was the character. Baron Broer von Blixen Finnick. Throw him out. He's out. Bar- sorry, Baron. Sorry, Where? Klaus. You're out. Christopher Lloyd's in. Supporting actress. I I don't think we can necessarily make the uh, make the case for that one either. Right. But yeah, so I mean, that's the uh, that those are the major Oscars. I mean, let's let's just say, it should have won Best Screenplay. You know, uh, I agree. original original screenplay is won by Witness. Back to the Future should have won. What it's, else was nominated for uh, screenplay? Brazil also excellent. The Purple Rose of Cairo. So get your uh, Woody Allen in there, and the official story. So to me, the best screenplay should always be something that if you published it as just a screenplay, it could be a bestseller. Yeah. I think this one, 100% is that that picture, that screenplay. Yeah. So let's give it. Back to the Future gets, uh, gets best original screenplay. So now we come to what is undoubtedly the most important part of the podcast. Shut your mouth. It is everyone's favorite part. It is the, uh, the reason why we're here, really, is when I put 30 seconds on the clock for Derek, and he explains to us why our subject that week is the greatest movie of all time. So, Derek, are you as ready as you're going to be? 
No, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give you a three, two, one, go. And then you Keep in mind, rip. I never, I purposefully never prepare for this on purpose because I don't want it to sound rehearsed. Oh, it has, it has that fresh quality. All right. Let's yeah, do it. I, I want to stumble. <laughs> let's do it. Three, two, one, go. If you're looking for a movie to, to just make yourself feel good, great acting, great music, great writing the, the scenes are so unbelievably memorable it's it's funny it's dramatic you'll learn about different things science it's scientific uh christopher lloyd michael j fox some of the greatest performances you'll ever see from some of these actors maybe the best thomas wilson movie of all time you got to see back to the future everything involved in it is great and that is time oh i hate this segment <laughs> wait how, how how is this maybe thomas maybe wilson's thomas wilson's best performance it's because I think his best performance is number two because he plays Griff as well. All right, all right. So that's, that's and Griff, Griff is a certified psychopath. He really it's plays three roles. He plays in part two. He plays old Biff. He plays young Biff, and he plays Griff. So he plays and he plays medium Biff too from the future from yep. the from the Donald evil Trump Biff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Donald Trump Biff. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that I mean, Back to the Future, just an absolute classic, and. You know, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? I, I think, you know, when it, when it comes time to decide what is the greatest movie of all time, I think this uh, this one's going to come up. But we shall see. Chris, uh, before we move on to uh, to our, our next couple of episodes and, and talk about what we're doing there, do you have anything to plug? I know you are a – I didn't uh, introduce you as, as a, a screenwriter, but you sure are. Anything, anything going on that you want to talk about, or we just it's just 2020, just put a stop to everything. Well, we'll we'll save the plugs for another episode, just because you want to have um, you want to have more to sell before you start asking people to buy, right? But sure. I will say, oh, yeah. I love what you guys are doing. You know, aside from being friends with you guys for a very long time, uh, I'm a big fan of the show, and you're doing a good thing here with helping movies find new audiences, perhaps you know, in competition to a lot of stuff online. There's a lot out there and it's a good place for people to come find some good talk about some good flicks. And I'm a fan. Keep it up guys. Good work. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely have you back on again to uh, talk about something else, maybe a little deeper cut next time. But yes. for now, let's talk about our next two episodes. We did something different and what we're, I think we're going to try this out a few times, see how it goes. We don't know. We've each chosen one. We have a Rick's pick and a Rex pick. And we don't know what we've chosen. I've given a category, something we have to abide by. And to start off, uh, I chose a movie by a director that we have already covered on the show. Yes. So that could be a Tarantino. It could be a Zemeckis. It could be whoever directed The Lion King. Uh, <laughs> Whoever that is. Yeah. Could be a Chris Columbus. Be interesting. You know, it, uh, we, there's, there's, there's quite a few options there. Frank Darabont. Could be a Darabont. Could have been a Darabont. Could be a Capra. But mine is a Spielberg. And it is a movie that we've talked about. We've mentioned briefly on the show. We're sticking in the '80s, Spielberg's decade. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited, Rick, because I, I think I think we're on the same page here. Well, crack that whip because it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. 
yes. So okay, next next episode <laughs> next episode that we record is going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. So prepare for that. The week after that, though, is a Rex pick, and it has to be pick. has to be a director that we covered before. So Derek, which director did you go with, and which movie? We are doing Quentin Tarantino's masterpiece, Inglorious Bastards. Yes, we. You know what we're doing in the next two weeks? Fucking killing Nazis is what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) This is gonna be the next two weeks is uh, Nazi killing uh, month. Absolutely, it's it's accidentally become the beat the shit out of Nazis uh, double feature, which I am absolutely one hundred percent okay with. January is fuck Nazis month, so (laughs) (laughs) as every month is. Yes. All right. So join us next week for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the week after that for Inglorious Bastards, I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I have been your co-host, Derek Rick Smith. And we have had our special guest, Chris the Bod Bonapani. Pleasure and to be here. Absolutely. And remember, everybody, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>